and the closing of the Gospel. John chapter 1. And we read from verse 1. And then John chapter 21. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not comprehended it or understood it or obliterated it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him, He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And then John 21, um, page 1091. John 21, and here now we read about John, the writer of this book, uh, at the end of his life. Peter turned, sorry, not at the end of his life, at uh, the end of, after Jesus' resurrection, um, and right through to the end of John's life. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. We have all heard it said uh, of someone uh, concerning something at some time or another, they have lost heart or they have lost interest. Perhaps it's in some project that they were doing uh, and the project, maybe it's renovating a house or whatever, and it has taken longer than they anticipated. Or perhaps the job has become bigger than they allowed for. Or perhaps their finances have taken a downturn and that means they have not been able to progress uh, the matter as they had planned and intended to. And perhaps... Uh, you say to them, well, what about the house, or what about this or that? Or maybe more often, it's a comment you make to someone else. And they will say in response, oh, they've lost interest, or they've lost heart. They've no longer the heart for it. And I wonder if... We ever are in danger of that in our Christian lives. Do you ever lose heart? Do you ever come to the point where you say, is this real? Or is this worth it? Or this is too hard for me? Christ, um, though uh, he is great and gracious, and I believe that, but he demands too much. Some people do lose heart. And um, they uh, give up the Christian faith. Have we ever been in danger of losing heart in regard to the church? Perhaps we um, find things more challenging, uh, either 
in personal relationships or in the life and witness of the church than we had anticipated. We had thought that um, we would know God's blessing in a way that was uh, very evident to people looking on. It has happened, certainly, in the lives of ministers and elders. We start off with great enthusiasm, and sometimes a young man comes out of college and he has this vision that he is God's answer to all the problems that exist in the church and the world today. And um, he goes at the work with zeal and enthusiasm, with prayer and diligence, and within a matter of years, um, he gives up. Um, it happened in the life of Robert Robb, who was with you last week, um, at a stage in his ministry. And Robert would say that uh, unashamedly. It's happened to other men also. So what are we to do when we feel like giving up? When we are losing heart or we're losing interest? Well, that's what we want to think about over the next number of weeks. It probably will stretch in a little series through to our communion season or thereabouts at the beginning of October. And um, today we're going to look at this from different angles. Uh, and today we want to ask the question, uh, or we want to look at the command, do not lose heart as was uh, there in our call to worship. We do not lose heart. The question is, why not? Why must we not lose heart? Why need we not lose heart? Why should we not lose heart as Christians, as church members, as churches, as a church plant? And we're going back this morning to a passage where the phrase is not used about losing heart, but I believe it gives us one most important reason why we don't lose heart. We're going back to John chapter 1. And John chapter 1, um, and in this little section from verses 14 through to 17, John uses the word grace four times. He says, verse 14, um, of Jesus Christ, the word become flesh, full of grace and truth. And then he says, verse 16, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace is what it literally is. So there's two and three. And then number four. For the law, verse 17, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus 
Christ. And we're taking that phrase from verse 14, full of grace. Jesus Christ, full of grace. That's the reason why we should not give up. That's the reason why you need not give up as a Christian. That's the reason why uh, no church should, or no church member should ever throw in the towel. Because the church's saviour, the church's foundation, and the church's head, even also as the Christian saviour, and foundation and head is Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. I'm going to think this morning about full of grace and next week we'll think about full of truth. Do not lose heart. Why not? Because of Jesus Christ Full of grace. And this word full means overflowing with. If you think of a vessel, you think of a, a, a fountain uh, in a garden in the town or in a city. And the water is bubbling up and it's flowing down the sides. And it keeps doing that. Well, it keeps doing that in the water fountain because it's plugged into electric. And uh, in Jesus Christ, grace keeps flowing from him, not because he's plugged into someone else or something else, but because of who he is. He is God, the God of all grace. He is eternal. Uh, and uh, this grace, as we'll see in a moment, comes into our lives. Overflowing with grace. Or another way of translating it would be bursting with grace. We're all familiar with the phrase bursting at the seams. Okay? Something bursting at the seams. It's packed in and it's pushing out. If you pack a bag to burst at the seams, it'll begin to to, to break the seams and to flow out the sides. It's used in scripture, in the gospels, of grain at harvest time. The ear is full. It's, uh, it's bursting with, uh, with nutrition and life and vitality. This um, full of is used again uh, when we... Um, read of the disciples collecting the baskets of bread after Jesus had performed the miracle. Full of grace. <coughs> flowing over. You can imagine the disciples going. And as they, uh, sometimes we, uh, the, the parallel in church would be when someone's lifting the collection and there's a big crowd and they've got to put their hand on the top to keep envelopes from falling off the basket. And the disciples, as they gathered the basketfuls that were left over, they were having to make sure that none of the pieces fell out as they brought it back to Jesus. That's the kind of saviour 
that God has given us. Jesus Christ, full of grace. Let's notice how this works itself out in three ways in our lives. First of all, full of grace that saves. Full of grace that saves. And uh, that comes out here in the passage. Um, uh, the um, John writing talks about Jesus coming from heaven. That was an act of grace. The Father sent him to testify to his grace, to secure his grace for us who are sinners, uh, and that sinners would receive his grace. And so John writes in verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's grace. People becoming the children of God. Jews becoming the children of God. And remember, later in this gospel, Jesus describes the Jews without grace as being what? Children of the devil. So to be delivered out of the grasp of the devil and the sin that he um, encourages and supports in our lives into uh, become a child of God, that is an act of grace. That is fullness of grace. Because this God is holy. This God cannot look upon sin. And his son is equally holy and cannot look upon sin. But because of what his son will do, live a life without sin, and then offer that sinless life on the cross for the sins of others, you and I receive grace. What do we deserve? We deserve judgment. We deserve the pains of hell forever and ever and ever. But we receive fullness of grace that saves us from our sin as we believe in his name, verse 12. As we turn our eyes out from ourselves, and we say, I have no hope in myself. As we take our eyes off the world and say, there's no hope from the world. A doctor can't help me. A psychiatrist can't help me. A, uh, uh, a psychologist can't help me. A counselor can't help me. I need someone to deal with my sin. And as we turn our eyes to the one who is full of grace and acknowledge our sin to him and put our trust in him, then we receive grace that saves. 
And we are born a second time, as John says here. And the birth now is not because a man and a woman decided they want to have a child and we're the product of that. The birth now is because the eternal God decided before the world began, I am going to bring this man and that woman and this child into my family. They're going to be born of God. The Holy Spirit is going to make them new so that they're enabled to repent and believe. Grace that saves. That's the first thing this morning. Full of grace that saves. Have we lost the sense of that? Have we lost the marvel of that? The wonder of that? For if you do, you will lose heart in the Christian life. If you lose heart in Christ, you will necessarily and automatically lose heart in the Christian faith, the Christian walk, the Christian word, the Bible, and the Christian church. And so central then to not losing heart is keeping our eyes fixed on Christ who is full of grace, the grace of God that saves from our sins. But then let's notice secondly, grace that sanctifies. Grace that sanctifies. A child, when they're born into your family, natural uh, birth and natural family, they don't stay the same, do they? They don't stay that little bundle that all they can do, all they can do is um, cry and feed and dirty the nappy. In fact, if they do stay at that stage, there's something wrong, isn't there? And we see our children, the baby, and it grows, and it begins to notice things around it. And then it begins to respond to its mother and smiles at its mother. And then eventually it'll begin to say, Dada and Mama, and so on. We see growth and development. And it's no different with the birth that comes from the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it is a stillbirth. If there's not growth, if there's not a going on from that single initial cry to a daily cry for grace and a daily confession of sin and a daily feeding on the word of Christ and a daily growing in Christ, then there's something wrong. Because grace causes growth. Yes, it enters us at a certain point, but it doesn't stop there. It grows. It causes growth in us. Growth um, to begin to 
understand and see more of our surroundings and get our bearings more what it means to be a Christian. And we discover this and that, like the child that starts crawling round the room and pulls itself up and discovers the glass vase for the first time and then discovers the TV control and discovers something else. And so it is with us. Grace is a journey of discovery about Christ and what he is to us and what he wants us to be and what he is making us into. Um, And so there is grace that sanctifies. And that's what I believe John is talking about here in verse 16 when he says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Remember John's gospel is a very Jewish gospel. And so you'll get Jewish phrases in it. And in, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to emphasize something, you said it twice or three times. So, for example, the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. And here now, John, he's wanting to emphasize the fullness of this grace That it's not just a grace that causes us to be born again. But as he now unfold in the rest of the gospel. And as it will unfold in the rest of the New Testament. It's a grace that transforms. So that we become more like Christ. That's what it means to be sanctified. It means to be more like Jesus. To become more like him. In my thoughts about all kinds of things. My thoughts about money. My thoughts about people. Um, uh, And um, then it also impacts our words, becoming like Christ in our words. How I speak to people. Do I speak to people as Christ? Spoke to them. Doesn't mean that in our speech we just say nice things. Christ had to say to people at times, You brood of vipers. Christ had to discern what was in people. And he was able, he challenged people about what they were thinking about him and about the gospel. So it isn't just speech. It's uh, Being like Christ in our speech is not just saying nice things to people. But it's the manner in which we speak. It's the purpose for which we speak. And, um, uh, and modelling our speech, whether it is teaching or correction or whatever it is, on Christ. And so thinking, how would Christ speak in this situation? If he were in my position as a parent. If he were in my position as a spouse. If he were in my position with that neighbour that is difficult to get along with. How would Christ speak to them? Okay, so to be transformed then, to be sanctified, is to become like Christ in the thoughts I have in the words that come from my lips, and then in the actions, the things I do, the things I don't do. 
That's not determined by a list of rules that the church sets out. It's not determined by what the world says. It's determined by what Christ commands and what he um, instructs us not to do. And then the wisdom of Christ in the situations where it's neither right nor wrong, but there's a matter of wisdom. There's 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 a good thing to do and there's a better thing to do. So grace that sanctifies. Can you say this morning, I am drawing upon that grace of Christ, that fullness of grace that is changing me? Or are you losing heart in the battle of holiness? Losing heart. Are you, am I, failing to have, allow Christ uh, to be applied and to deal with the stubborn sin that is in your life or my life? It just keeps coming up again and again and again. It's a thought, an impure thought. Maybe it's um, the, uh, a relationship and how you conduct that relationship uh, and, um, and the way in which it's the, the problem that somebody causes you in that relationship and it irritates you and it annoys you and you get angry about it. Grace that sanctifies that makes us like Jesus. Remember Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, I do not condemn you. And that's what he says to all of us when he saves us. But then he also says to us, go and sin no more. Go and work to overcome your besetting sin, dear woman. That's what Jesus said to her. And there's no sin in your life that is too small not to need his grace. No sin too small not to need his grace. There's no sin that's too great to be beyond his grace. And we need to remember that. And we're tempted to think, oh, that's a small sin. And I don't need to confess that. We need to remind ourselves, I do need to confess that. And when we fall into that stubborn sin or what would be considered uh, a greater sin, and we've got to be careful how we use that language, small sins and greater sins, but you understand what I mean within, the, uh, within that framework. The thought can be, I can't get over this. It's too great. It's too deep. And that's um, one of the things that David had to learn. After his sin with Bathsheba, and after he lied and murdered her husband, and did all kinds of things and broken practically every commandment in the book, 
he had to realise that there was no sin that was too great to be beyond his grace for the believer. So, grace that saves, grace that sanctifies, and then finally this morning, grace that sustains. Grace that sustains. This is where we come now and we want to turn from John 1 to John 21. John 1, sorry, turning through to John 21, page 1090. What a, what a fascinating little cameo. Uh, and it's almost humorous, isn't it? Peter saying to Jesus, well, what about him? And the him here is John. John is known as the beloved disciple. The writer of this book is known as the beloved disciple. And Jesus said, you forget about him and worry about yourself. And you know, there's a lot of truth in that. And we could follow that through, but I'm not going to follow that through. I'm going to leave that with you. What I want us to do instead is I want us to see what Jesus said. And what they wrongly understood by that. But the truth that lay behind their understanding was right. Okay, got that? So, John, Jesus said, well, um, let's, let's just re- read the verse again. Um, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words... I've got a purpose for John and I'm going to fulfill my purpose for John and that's for me and John and it's not for you, Peter. And so what did they end up saying? They ended up, and it's interesting that it talks about a rumour and how rumours can come uh, even then from things that are said and being misunderstood. Um, Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. That's what they said. That's what they concluded. Um, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? The point Jesus is making is I will sustain John. For as long as he lives and for the work that I have for him to do. That's all you need to know, Peter. And you know, there's great freedom that that kind of teaching brings. Do I need to know what's happening on Wednesday of this week in the purpose of God for my life? Do I need to know how my life is going to end? Will I die of a heart attack? Will I die of cancer? Will I be run over by a bus? Do I know, do you need to know that? No, I don't. Nor do you. What I need to know, and what you need to know is, 
you will be sustained by fullness of grace that flows from Christ until the end. And therefore, you should not lose heart. And that applies also in the church. It applies in our service in the church. It applies in the life of the church. Whatever the purpose of God is, whatever role he has for you in his church, he will sustain you in that until the time is right. It will not be a second early. It will not be a minute late for you to relinquish that and to be taken from that. And there's great freedom in that. That's liberating. For us to be able to say, you know something, I don't need to know the details. All I need to know is the truth, the principle, that there is fullness of grace in Jesus Christ that will take me the whole journey. And that will take me home. It's not like when you're out driving your car and you suddenly look and you see, oh, I'm on the motorway and the needle is sitting at empty. How far is it to the next petrol station? Am I going to run out of petrol? Or indeed have the experience of running out of petrol. We will not run out of grace. Why? Not because of me. Not because of you. Not because of any mere ordinary human being. But because of the unique human being. The God-man. Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. And we see this, and you can think about this, and I'm just going to give you a couple of hints here on how to look at this in the life of John. You go into Acts chapter 4, and in fact, you've really got to get into the epistles to get grace um, expounded in its fullness. But in Acts chapter 4, here you have Peter and John, and here they are, they are taken uh, into um, prison, they're put on trial, uh, they have a witness, they, uh, they witness before the Sanhedrin. And then, uh, verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. This was a particularly difficult situation that they were in. And there was grace that came for that situation that was difficult. Grace is according to the need of the hour. You can't have it on an ISA or in a savings account in a bank. It comes in the day when we need it. And let me give you another pointer then as well. John was the last surviving disciple. And we read of him in Revelation chapter 1. And where is he? The island of Patmos. 
a rugged, desolate island where he has been banished to by the Roman emperor. And he thought that's the way to get rid of these Christians. And that's the way to get rid of this man that keeps talking about Jesus and to put an end to it all. And what did he do? What did the emperor do? He facilitated the giving of the book of Revelation. And the grace that John received on that island. The revelations that he saw. And yes, there were difficulties. It was lonely. And um, all and, and, and all those um, human things and circumstantial things. But look at the fullness of grace. And read Revelation as an exposition of this statement that John makes here. Jesus Christ, full of grace. Revelation chapter 1. Um, if you just look at one verse as we close. Um, I, John, Revelation 1 verse 9, both your brother and companion in tribulation, in tribulation, in difficulties, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the island that was called Patmos for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then we read of the Lord speaking to him. So, do not lose heart. Why not? Because in Jesus Christ, we have fullness of grace. That not only saves from our past sin, but sanctifies us from our present sin and will sustain us throughout our lives to the end, whatever way the end, and whatever difficulties come between now and the end. And so, what are we to do? As many as received him. We're to look to him every day and be filled again with the fullness of grace that is in him. Amen.